Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to talk to you about something very appropriate before Thanksgiving. Two words, well, two and a half words. Get ready. You're going to need it this week. That's enough. Right? Yeah. Now, those, I use those words a lot in my house. It's just because I have a nine-year-old and a four-year-old. And I find myself saying, that's enough. Right? But Thanksgiving is on the way. It gives us great opportunities to have conversations. And sometimes, uh, you know, I get to have meaningful conversations with my boys. The four-year-old uh, has been very, he wanted to know how many sleeps until Christmas. I'm like, we're not starting that now because he gets unbearable. Um, between now and then, I was like, well, before Christmas, you had Thanksgiving. He's like, oh, Dad, I know all about Thanksgiving. Now, he can't say T-H, so it's an F, so it's Thanksgiving for him. He's like, my teacher told me about that. I was like, oh, really? Um, he's like, yeah, yeah, I love Thanksgiving. He's like, that's in like seven sleeps, isn't it? And we had this conversation on Thursday. I said, yes, son. I said, you know what we do at, at Thanksgiving? What do we do? I said, we, well, we, we have a big meal, and he doesn't like any of the Thanksgiving food. Doesn't like turkey, doesn't like corn doesn't like mashed potatoes. I, again, I'm sorry, neither of my boys do. And I make a good mashed potato. I use Ina Garten's recipe, Parmesan smashed potatoes. It's fantastic. Award, hasn't won any awards, but it's good. And for some reason, they both literally are reduced to tears if you make them even try mashed potatoes. So parenting fail as far as that's concerned. So it couldn't go down the food route, but I did say, well, well buddy, what are you thankful for? You know, Thanksgiving is a time we, we, we think about things we're thankful for. He goes, I'm thankful for my brother. I'm like, oh, I was like, you guys, they fight all the time. So I don't know why in that moment, but he's like, and I'm thankful for mommy. I was like, I'm getting ready, right? And I'm thankful for God. He said, I'm like, awesome. And I'm thankful for my iPad. And I'm like, I didn't even make the list. Like it was, it was brother, mom, God iPad, and then he started going through his stuffed animals. I just gave up after a while. So, you know, but make sure you take time to be thankful for some things, okay, over this next week that we don't just cruise on past right to Christmas. Um, but one of the great beauties of following Jesus is being able to come to the place where you can honestly say of things, that's enough. So I want to talk to you today about being content. Have you heard the word content before? Yeah. Easy or hard to be content, in your opinion? Depends. Depends as I, I deserve that, okay? I think, generally speaking, you ask most people, it's hard to learn to be content. And the Bible has a good bit to say about contentment. The Apostle Paul writes about it uh, two times in, in detail. I'm going to share one of those times with you today and refer to the other one. So if you have your Bible with you, find 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. As you're finding that, um, not trying to trick you, who wrote 1 Timothy? I just told you, but just make sure you pay attention. Who wrote it? Timothy did not write 1 Timothy, believe it or not. Paul did. I know it's a trick question because it's not 1 Paul, it's 1 Timothy. Timothy, but uh, Paul actually wrote a letter. Who did he write it to? Timothy. There you go. So Paul is writing to Timothy. Now compare the two. Is Paul older, the same age, or younger than Timothy? He's older than Timothy. Timothy was a young man who lived in one of the towns. He lived in the region of Lystra and Darbe, which we read about in Acts. Paul, during his missionary journey, actually traveled through those towns and preached the gospel. And it's very likely that Timothy and his mom and grandmom came to faith in Jesus through one of those visits. And Paul, over the years when he would return to visit, got to know Timothy rather well and recognized as Timothy got older that God was had a special calling for Timothy to serve in ministry. And eventually that led to Timothy being taken under Paul's wing and Paul mentored him and developed him and poured into Timothy. And Timothy was like a little sponge and just grew so strong in his faith and in his gifts that Paul eventually had so much confidence in Timothy's leadership that he actually turned over leadership of some of the churches he planted. He turned leadership over to Timothy. And so these letters that Paul sends to Timothy, if you read through them in their entirety, and I would recommend that you do, 
You can hear some of, at times you hear Paul speaking like a proud dad. At other times you hear him talking like a colleague, like a brother. Sometimes Paul's giving Timothy real life counsel on a very specific situation Timothy's dealing with in his church. And then sometimes he opens up the scope and gives some general wisdom and knowledge to all of us. They're just packed full of mentoring and wisdom. And this section is no different. I'm not going to read all of chapter 6 to you today. I would recommend that you do it because it gives you the backstory as to how this topic even comes up. But Paul talks to Timothy about how to be content. Verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great, what's that next word? Wealth. He's actually telling you how you can achieve wealth. And I'm very interested to know the answer to that. You know, how how do we all get wealthy? True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Does it say true godliness is itself great wealth? Does it say true contentment is itself Great wealth. It says godliness with, with a side of contentment. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's possible for someone to achieve a state of contentment even if they've not achieved godliness? I think absolutely. You mean to tell me that there's no unbeliever in the world who would tell you that they're content with the amount of things they have and they don't have? I'm sure there are people who can say, I'm content. They may not be Christians, they may not know Jesus, but they can say, I'm content with what I have and what I don't have. I would also say, and Paul alludes to the fact that you can pursue godliness that simply means becoming a little bit more like God. And let's pause there for a second. If I said, I want you to be like God, that's a little hard. He's abstract to me a little bit, you know? Um, And we see some, but God came up with a workaround for this, how we can relate to him in a way to know if we're becoming like him or not. Um, And and it surfaced this way. Jesus' disciples got frustrated with him one time. And they said, Jesus, you talk nonstop about your dad. My father is God. God is my father. My father is God. Can you just show us your father and then we'll believe? And you know what Jesus said in reply? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus is easier for me to relate to because he took on human skin. And he deals with the stuff we deal with. And so if I want to know if I'm really making progress and becoming like God, I simply compare myself to the example of Jesus. Do I have his attitude? Do I have his heart? Do I handle these situations? Do I feel his instincts and his character bubbling up organically in me where previously? Here's a good way. Do I find love in my heart for people where previously there was none? If I do, it's because there's a new love being deposited in me that's growing through me. Godliness is simply a noun that describes growing in the relationship or in the image of Jesus day by day by day. That's how we define discipleship. Discipleship is becoming a little bit more like Jesus every day. That's what it looks like. Paul actually alludes to the fact that you can start making some progress there and yet not be content with material things at the same time. He warns us later on. So here he says, here's what great wealth is. You want to be wealthy? Have godliness with contentment. That's great wealth. After all, he said, well, how can he come to that conclusion? He says, after all, here's how Paul thinks of it. We brought nothing with us when we came into the world. Uncomfortable image for all. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Here's what Paul is saying. He's like, look, Why should we be bent out of shape over wealth, riches, material things, and stuff? We brought nothing with us into this world. We came in the world with no clothes on, with nothing. When we leave the world, we can take nothing from this world with us. You are not losing anything you once had, and anything you gained can't go with you. Why are you bent out of shape about it anyway? You should be able to be content. You've not really gained or lost anything. So if we have enough, and now it gets super practical. See that? If we have how much? How much? Enough. 
If we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. You know what the problem is? You and I have a broken definition of that word enough. How much is enough? Someone said it's relative. Is it? We don't agree on that definition. Most of us think enough is everything I have plus one more. Enough clothes, enough house, enough car, enough food, enough, some of us, enough savings, enough nest egg, enough property. The problem is we don't have a shared definition of enough. Most of us think we don't have enough. And the only way you can be content is by saying, I have enough. And what stands in the way of most of us fulfilling our broken definition of enough? More money. More wealth. More opportunity. And we get bitter because we say, I want to get to contentment. What's standing in the way is enough. And I don't have enough. And what's standing in the way is money. Paul says, if you want to discover great wealth, and let's pause there for a second. How much is wealthy? Do we agree on it? Relative? Do we agree on that word? Isn't that a problem? Look, when I got out of Bible college, I had $1,000 in my savings account. I thought I was wealthy. And I was. I got myself a one-bedroom apartment in Aberdeen, Maryland. And I was like, I am a millionaire. I have arrived. I have enough apartment. I had no bed. I had no furniture. I had a sleeping bag. It was enough. I walked to the Dollar General store for my groceries. Lots of carbs. You understand the definition of enough is going to start to change when your family grows. What is wealth, though? How much is wealth? Having a million dollars in the bank? Is that wealthy? We don't know. We're all afraid. Depends. <laughs> if I live in Haiti or if I live in Manhattan, right? Can you at least agree that we don't have a universal definition of wealth? How do you know when you have something you think will make you complete if you don't even know what that something is? But the Bible says you can have it. How do you get it? Godliness with contentment. That's wealth. Because most people think, you know what wealth is? It's being able to have, not have to work in order to live and give and spend the way I want to. Right? That's wealth. Why? I just have enough money to do everything that I want to do to satisfy my definition of enough. And isn't, I don't know that Paul def, disagrees with you. But most of us think wealth is about changing the amount of money. Paul says it's about changing your heart. And saying, you know what? I have enough. Therefore, I am content. And he says, that's wealth. Flips the definition on us. So verse 8. So if we have enough food and enough clothing, let us be content. And then we spend the next hour debating as a room, how much is enough clothing? You're about as quiet as the 9 a.m. service was when we got to that. <laughs> Do you need more outfits than days in the month? Do you need it? Some say, yeah. I heard some say, yes. Well, let me ask you this. Let's talk about need because I don't think we even agree on that. We have a broken definition of need. I had someone try and convince me recently they need HBO and Showtime. You do not need HBO and Showtime. That is a luxury, not a need, says 90% of the world. But do you need an outfit, different outfit for every day of the month? Do you need it? No. Could you wear the same thing every day? <laughs> <laughs> some of you were quick on that and some of you went to answer and you stopped. Why don't you? Well, I'm not saying don't wash it. But listen, could you wear the same thing every day and survive? Why don't you? I don't want to. Thank you for your honesty. 
Why else? You don't want to. That's good. That's true. That'll preach. And it did. What else? Well, Paul, listen, you got to look good. And you don't have to work hard. You don't have to work hard. But, I mean, you, yeah, you got to look at no, no one will say it, but can it be, well, what would other people say about me if I wore the same thing every week? Well, where do they get that idea? Who taught them that? The thing we blame everybody, society, culture. You and I live in a part of the world where they look down on you saying, I have enough. Our economy depends upon you saying there's never enough, right? So it's not like it's natural. In fact, Paul says it this way in Philippians 4. I have learned the secret of being content. You know what that suggests to me? Number one, that content is not natural because you have to learn it. You did not come in the world content. Trust me, you didn't. You came in the world fixed to get what you want and make everybody stop until you got it. And I think one of my son's first words, one of both my son's first words was again or more. You know, you, you, you flip him through the air three times. Somehow he doesn't break his neck. He lands on the bed. You think he's dead and he gets him and says, again. <laughs> that one time wasn't enough. <laughs> You're not wired to have enough. You're wired to always want more. Paul says, I've learned contentment. He says, I've learned the secret. In other words, nobody's out there teaching us how to be content. It's almost like it's a secret. I want to teach you in the very few minutes I have left what the Bible says about how to be content. Verse 8, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation. Pause. Does he say people who are rich fall into temptation? No, because some of us are rich. Some of us are wealthy. Some of us have God's given us a lot that doesn't automatically mean you're cursed. That's the poverty gospel. Poverty gospel says the less you have, the holier you are. Prosperity gospel says the more you have, the holier you are. The actual gospel says it's not about how much or how little you have that makes you holy. It's about what you do with what you have. That's what makes you holy. Paul doesn't say that people who are rich fall into temptation and are trapped. He says people who long to be rich. You will learn a lot about yourself when you can honestly answer the question, what do I really long for? What are the things I strive for? Where are the things that, what are the things I feel like I can't be content until I have it? And if I lose it, I'll never be content. That's what Paul's going after. He's going after the longings. People who long to be rich, that longing is volatile. That craving, that appetite for more and more and more. Many people will fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. He's not saying being rich is evil. He's not saying money is bad. He's not saying wealth is disgusting to the Lord. What he's saying is if your heart only longs for more money, it will make you vulnerable to temptation and being trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Doesn't say money's the root of all kinds of evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money This is a really tough verse. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves. Didn't even go down to the parlor and get pierced. They pierced themselves with many sorrows. What's he saying? He's saying there were people alive 2,000 years ago who were Christians, real Christians, put their real faith in Jesus, really repented for their sins, were really growing. But at the time that they were growing, there was another thing growing inside of them, and that was greed and material things. They wanted more and more and more. There wasn't enough money to satisfy them. And what he says is some people craving money, actually, they craved it so much it got in the way of their faith, and they wandered from their faith because they valued money more than Jesus. And it says they hurt. And how did it? It wasn't Jesus that hurt them. They pierced themselves. This is not a message on going home and adding an extra earring yourself with a nail in it. Don't do that. But they've pierced themselves. They brought it on themselves. Lots of wisdom packed into these verses. But we have to make this practical. Let me give you a couple statements that make this practical. Contentment begins. Where does it begin? How do I get there? You, You can't get any further. Do not pass go unless you say, God has provided enough for me. That's where it begins. 
you have to get to the recognition that what God has provided me is enough for me. That's where contentment begins. God has provided, what's that next word? Enough. And how many of your prayers are filled with God? Why haven't you provided enough for me? God, I demand more. You owe me more. You owe me better. Well, why? I need it. Do you need it or do you greet it? Well, I don't have enough to pay for all my stuff. Well, we're going to get there. Did you basically just load up all the stuff and pile it all up and say, God, you owe me a budget to pay for everything I want? Or did you say, God, this is what you've given me. Let me see what I can fit inside of that. You see, you will never be content until you get here. As long as you think God owes you more than what he's given you, you'll never find contentment. Contentment is being able to say that's enough. And here's the hard part for us with that. God has not given us all the same budget, has he? No. What's a budget? Paul talks in budget terms. Let's talk budget terms. You know what a budget is? A budget's your income. Everything that comes into your house, your wages, your investment income, gifts people give you, allowances, inheritances, government subsidies, side hustles, third hustles, whatever it is, all the income that comes into your house, that is what God provides for you. Think of it like a suitcase. That's your budget. That's your suitcase. Your budget supplies you the money you use to spend on giving, saving, and living. And God has given you enough. God provides you a budget, and it's enough. The problem, like I said, is that not all budgets are equal. Does that seem fair to you? And you're afraid to answer out loud. I understand. Some of you think this, so you have a hard time living without being angry with people who have a whole lot more than you. Why do people hate some of the, like the Elon Musks and the Jeff Bezos? They don't even know these jokers. Yeah, well, you, how, do you know them? You, you see what I'm getting at? Well, it's not about the money for them. Well, how do you know? You don't know them. There is a bias that's built into us because they have more. I'm not preaching either of them into heaven. I'm not saying they're righteous or that you should fall in their footsteps with both of, you know, you know at least in Bezos' case, his company is now valued over a trillion dollars. That's a lot of dollars. I don't know anybody that God has given that measure of responsibility to. At the same time, you know what he's going to have to answer for when he gets to heaven? What has he done with all of that for the Lord? I'm not going to answer for that. My budget's much smaller than that, right? But this was an issue even 2,000 years ago. Maybe this sounds familiar. You know, back in the day, there was two brothers that were having an argument, and it got out of hand to the point where they interrupted one of Jesus' sermons. And it was over money. It was specifically over an inheritance. Now, I don't know that if this has ever happened to your family. Probably not. Just some folks you know that when someone in your family dies and they have things or money, you ever see people in your family or other families get a little bit bent out of shape over stuff? Big time. Yeah. I mean, I've watched siblings stop talking to each other, fighting over inheritance stuff that at the end of the day, it's like really over a table? Over a collection of precious moments? Over, you know, like it's, you, you laugh. I've seen siblings stop talking over precious moments collections. Let's not be so holy and sanctified. It happens. I'm not asking you to out yourself, but maybe somebody you know. In Jesus' day, when parents died, when the father died, how did the, where did the inheritance go? Went to the eldest son. So if you were the second eldest or the third eldest, how, what percentage of the inheritance did you get from your dad? Nothing. Now, is that... Fair? No, but it, was it right legally? Yeah. It was a law. You don't have to like it, but it was their, how they did things. Well, the backstory is Jesus is teaching a sermon, and in Luke chapter 12, a, a, a young man interrupts Jesus' sermon and starts outing his family drama. And here's what he says. I'll read it to you. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. 
So you can already put two and two together and figure out what happened. Father dies. Oldest brother gets the whole inheritance. Middle brother didn't get the inheritance. Middle brother went to older brother and said, hey, cut me in on it. Older brother says no. And he says, that's not fair. And he goes to Jesus publicly to deal with this. Now, let me show you another way that you can think about this. Um, I'm going to show you something this morning uh, that I think is very holy and godly. Yes, Jesus, yes. Now, let's pretend this represents your budget. God gives you a pack of Reese's peanut butter cups, and this is your budget. And if it's your budget, then it is enough. It's enough. It's enough to give. It's enough to live. It's enough to save. It's enough to spend. I could never live on that. You could, you don't want to. Right? Middle brother. Little brother. God had already given him a budget. It was enough. He was cool with his budget until big brother got this one. These are the ones Jesus really loves, the king size. Have you bought a candy bar recently? I remember when they, you know, I don't want to get that old, but man, they're crazy. They need a small loan just to get a candy bar. Um, Older brother got this one, and that was enough. But it wasn't the same. This brother was okay with what he had until he looked at older brother and says, wait a minute, that's not fair. How come he got this? And so he says, it's not right for you to have all that. Share with me. Did older brother have to give younger brother something that wasn't rightfully his? No, but some of you say, well, but he got more. Would it hurt him so much? And that's the same attitude you have today. Well, he's worth $100 billion. Why doesn't he pay more taxes? Shouldn't matter to them. They have all this money. No, problem was he was given enough and he was not content. And he says, I want some of that. Give it to me. Did you work for it? Is it rightfully yours? No, but society owes me if I don't get what I think I deserve. You know what happens when you think like that? Our present economy. I don't have to fit into my budget. I'll just go borrow and print more until I can get everything I need. Hello? Don't be political. I'm not being political. I'm being gospel. That's a problem. That's a problem. So what does Jesus say in response to this? He says, first off, friend, he calls him friend. Who made me a judge over you to decide such thing as that? But then he goes on and says to everybody, beware, guard against every kind of greed. And this little brother saying, yeah, that's right, older brother. He's talking about you. Nobody, he's talking about you. Because you got to be careful. When you point out someone else's greed, you're just exposing your own. Jesus says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Because here's what this guy forgets, and here's what you forget. While you're complaining, I don't have enough to do this and do that, and I don't have enough. There's somebody over here that has this, this little single serve. And you know what? I know a lot of people who have been given this, and they're completely content. I'll take you to Haiti. Actually, I won't, uh, not, not these days. But I could have, and I did, some of you. I've been to Haiti five times. El Salvador, Honduras, Peru, Paraguay, Argentina, Brazil, all these places in the world I've been. And when I go on mission trips, I'm not staying at the Hyatt. I'm in the poor parts. I will show you poverty that you can't understand. And I'll show you people who are content in the same neighborhoods. This is what they have. And they don't look at me who has more. They look at me, and I look like this to them. And I come back here to the States, and, you know, and it's like, oh, I don't have enough. Listen, you'll never be content because you'll always have somebody that has more than you do. This guy, there's some, have you seen those five-pound Reese's peanut butter cups that Jesus created? <laughs> there's always going to be somebody with more. There's always going to be somebody with less. Contentment is saying, I have enough. 
whether it's a lot or a little. This is enough for me to live. This is enough for me to eat. This is enough for me to have clothes. This is enough for me to spend. This is enough for me to save. It just has to fit inside my budget. What has to fit inside your budget? Everything you give plus everything you save plus everything you spend. And Paul says, lots of you aren't content because you want more food and clothing. It's never enough for you. And so you're complaining to God that I don't have enough in my budget. And he says, it's not the problem that you don't have enough. It's how you're using what you have. He says it's an issue. It's a problem. Um, what, kind of a, what kind of a packer are you when you go on vacation? Mm. Are you the type of person who decides everything you want to take with you, and then you go look for a suitcase or a trunk big enough to take it along? That's what my, three-fourths of my family is that way. We go on vacation, and they just start filling up the dining room with things. And they don't even say anything. It's just, I'll drop it off here. Dad will make it fit into the car. Or are you what I call the more blessable kind of packer, the kind who says, this is my suitcase. This is the one I've, what will fit? Which one are you? Are you which one are you? You think about what you want to take and then what suitcase to take? A couple of you. Which of you are like, nope, it's got to fit in this and everything? Okay. I brought something with me I've had since I've been a child. I don't have many possessions. This is made by Land's End, uh, not an affiliate sponsor. My grandparents, who traveled a lot, bought this for me when I was like eight, and it was to be an overnight duffel bag to their house. And so on the one side, you have the square rigger by Land's End uh, thing. And then on the other side, they put my monogram, which is pack, which is appropriate. We're talking about packing. And then an American flag because they were big into the USA. So I still have this duffel bag. This, I'm going to pretend this is your budget. Everything in life, you need has to fit inside whose budget? Your budget. All has to fit in your budget, not the budget you want, not your neighbor's budget, not your government's budget, not even Visa's budget. Hello? Got to fit in your budget. So what do we have to put inside of our budget? Well, everything you spend money on. Yourself, your debt, your savings, your living, your fun, all has to fit in your budget. So you got to make some decisions about what you're going to put in there. So I brought some things to pack today. I brought Spider-Man today because Spider-Man's a high line item in a lot of our budgets. No, he represents fun things, hobbies, movies, entertainment, going, you know, going places, doing things. How many of you like fun things? It's okay. Jesus is fine with that. Okay, just a matter of what order. But some of us are like, okay, the first thing I want to do in life is make sure I'm finally getting paid. We're going to have some fun. So Spider-Man, um, and this is a collectible Spider-Man, so you can't have it. It's made by Tonka when you're only. We're putting him in here because I'm a nerd about stuff like that. We put you in there. Okay, so he, now, man, fun is taking up a lot of space in here today. He, yeah, he, he's squishable. See, my budget is flexible. Some of you like those hard shell budgets. I like the flexible ones, right? So got that. Uh, other things you need. Oh, oh, goodness. You've got to have a red car. Oh, you don't. You need transportation, right? Most of us need it or we want it, so we've got to have transportation. And what kind of transportation can you have? What's that? What kind of transportation can you have? How do you decide what kind of transportation you get? What fits in your budget? And I guess it depends when you pack it, right? Some of you are like, oh, I want this car, and I, before I, I really want this car, and oh, there's enough space in here. I'm going to go ahead and sign, because they said if I sign today, it'll only be $800 a month for the next 172 months, and that sounds good. So we'll put that in there. And oh, goodness, you got to have your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and you don't, not just, I'm talking about, you know, you got to have your coffee that you don't make yourself. You got to hit that because you're having a rough day. You just need to step out and have a $3 coffee. Oh, but pastor, I use my points. How'd you get those points? <laughs> By going there too often. often Not often enough. Yeah, it's enough. You're like, oh, I'm having a bad day. I just need to step out and get a coffee. Or I'm having such a great day. Let's celebrate with a coffee. You know, it's just that you understand the connection between coffee. But you say, you know what? And here's the true matter. Anyway, we'll get to that later. But yeah, that's got to fit in your, but how much coffee should you have? It has to fit inside your Budget. Some of you don't even think about budget with coffee. Okay, but we put that in there. Oh, and because we're responsible, you got to save some money. You got to have the, yeah, I know. Jesus entered the room. You got to have these little vinyl bank bags. I brought this with me. You put it in the bank. 
This is actually an old bank made by a company called Sierra or something or other. Actually, it's a dresser, and you put your coin in the top, and when you close it, the bottom of the dresser drawer is out, and it fills up the back. You can fill like $3 of pennies in here. It's awesome. So we're going to put that in here. So we got to save, and your savings have to fit inside your budget. So we put that in there. Uh, what other kinds of things? Oh, you got to be connected to people. You know what this is, kids? <laughs> this is something called a telephone. For a home, people used to have these in their home plugged into the wall, and they would actually dial this way and that kind of thing. And, and uh, don't ask me how I came to a small collection of them, but I do. Um, so, yeah, some of your phone bills are big because you have to have a $300 a month data plan. I don't think you have to have it unless you're doing way too many online games. But sometimes these things can fit. You know, you say, okay, I got to have my phone, got to be connected. Oh, and this one. How about this one? You know what this is? Education. And, you know, I spent almost $30,000, which was a deal at the time, to get this little piece of paper. That's not even hanging up in my office right now. It's actually in a drawer that I pulled out today. This represents debt. Debt is money that was outside of your budget that you borrowed from somebody else with the agreement to pay it back over time with interest. Is it fun to pay off debt? Well, I should say pay back debt is different than pay off debt. I love it when the debt is done. That's awesome. Because you know what? This makes it hard. This is not too flexible. And when you make a habit of saying, rather than waiting until it fits in my budget, I'll borrow it from someone else's so I'll have it now, this fills up your suitcase fast. And once you get it in there, that's not going to get any smaller no matter how you... So when you decide, like, I want, you know, my budget can only afford this car, but debt will get me that car. My budget can only afford these clothes, but debt will get me those. My budget. When you start using debt, pretending that it's budget, you end up in bondage. Your credit limit, I heard people saying, see, <laughs> no, <laughs> your credit limit is not money you have, it's potential debt you can get into, okay? So I, I can tell maybe I need to come back on that some other day when it's not a holiday week. Oh, and now that we're getting way down there, don't forget, we got to remember God, right? Got to remember your little church, and some of you, okay, no amens on that, all right, but you do need to remember God, he needs to be first, but a lot of us don't put him in there first, we're like, well, the pastor talked about it this week, and it is... Um, maybe, okay, I drank all the coffee I want. I did all the traveling. I've got a little bit left over. I'll give, there, the Lord will take that, and he needs to be contractually satisfied with that because I am. So, um, but then you need, think, you need, we haven't even gotten dressed yet. We need clothes, right? You need a good vest. So you got to have, got to have clothes. Uh, what are other things? You need a place to live, so we'll represent that with another vest. You need to pay insurance, so we'll represent that with another vest. Uh, what else? Health insurance, another vest. Uh, oh, are you going to vacation? Are you going to vacation? Yeah. What's that? Someone said, what's that? That's when you, you should spend money that's left over in your budget to go on a vacation. But sometimes we take money that was meant for other things and we go on a vacation. And say, I don't have any money for Jesus because I want a vacation. But there's your vest. And uh, let's see, what else do you need? Well, you need more vests. And because you want to look good, you have to have a vest for every day of the week. <laughs> Got to have vests. Now, here's the problem. My... My spending doesn't fit in my budget. Hmm. What do you, too many, too many vests. <laughs> Don't I know it. Listen, what are your options when you find out that your budget or that your expenses don't fit inside your budget? You got some options. What are your options? Cut the expenses, right? Divest yourself. Divest yourself. Oh, oh. <laughs> groans and applause. Well done. Yeah. Oh, bigger suitcase, right? Well, some of you say, well, I'll find someone else's suitcase that has room in it. Maybe I can call my neighbor. They've got a suitcase I could borrow while I, that's debt. We're going to eliminate that one because that's not a good way to deal with this. You know why this happens? This only happens one of two reasons. You either have a major crisis in your life or poor stewardship. It's either a result of a crisis, you lost your job, you, major catastrophe, life happened to you, and temporarily, your budget doesn't, your expenses don't fit in your budget, or this is a chronic problem. 
you're going around bitter in life thinking that everybody owes you a bigger suitcase so you don't have to pare this down at all. You can't live on someone else's budget just because you think you deserve it. You got to roll with the suitcase you have. And that means at certain places in life, you have to say, I might want that, but it doesn't fit in my budget. And that's hard. And people get offended when you talk like that. For example, take some of these things down here. Look, look, sometimes you just got to say, you know what? We're in over our heads. We got to unpack for a minute. Now, that doesn't mean you just stop paying your bills. That's called bankruptcy and don't do that. All right. But you might say, you know what? Let me let me reorder this because the Bible talks to you about how to live inside your budget. And it's hard and it's not natural and it's not meant to be a secret, but you didn't learn this. And to be honest, people aren't teaching this anymore. And so somebody has to start somewhere and say, here's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say, doesn't say that you put everything you want in there first and then cram everything you need into the nooks and the crannies. No, 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 no. The Bible says there's an order you pack the suitcase. And you put the important things in there first and you pack everything else around. And the Bible says the first thing, that, the first thing is that God comes first. Not because God needs your money, but because God is supposed to be honored as first above everything. And when you start by giving away the first tenth to the Lord, your brain already says, I only have 90% left of my budget to decide how much house, how much clothes. And it already gets you used to living inside the budget rather than expecting your budget to accommodate your greed. Okay, so this goes in first, and it's not even bigger than some of those other things, but it goes in first, and we pack everything else in around it, rather than saying, I'm going to give God the leftovers after I've spent everything else that I want to spend. So that goes in there. The Bible says the next thing that we go after, or it advises us, and you could do one or two, depending, we're either going after our debt or we're going after savings. Here's the cool thing. Once you pay this off, if you live wisely, it goes out of the suitcase and never has to come back in again. It gives you something we call options. It gives you margin. So I'm thankful to say that my wife and I made a decision after we got married. We're paying off all our student loans first, paying off our cars, and we're not taking on any more debt. And that is hard. That is hard. And we did. And to this day, the only debt that I have is is our house payment. Well, you must be loaded. Uh Uh-uh. Just disciplined and content. And I didn't get content by turning on the TV and feeling ashamed that I don't have more. I have to say, that's enough. That's enough. So now we're able to prioritize saving. And again, it's not bigger than the other things, but guess what? Now I've knocked out the two core things. And you know what I have left? Space. Well, pastor, you go on vacation. I do. Well, I go on vacation. Great. How did you get to your vacation? Do you put that in first or last? You put it in last, you go away and enjoy your vacation because you're not cheating God's cycle. Again, it's not things it's when things God hasn't doesn't God doesn't have a problem with you having things it's when things have you that's the problem those things go in there first now I can decide what I want to do with the rest of it you might say well maybe my budget's kind of small well you know what you might need to do you might need to have this coffee you know how many people probably give more to this than to this every year oh, but pastor, I love Jesus with all my heart, but you love this more, says your wallet. That's not biblical. It actually is. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How are you going to stand before God one day? And he says, give me an account for what you did with what I gave you. And you're going to say, well, I gave, you know, I gave $4 a week. I gave $208 a year to Duncan and $75 a year to my church. Well, how do you get there? You might have to make your own coffee. Can I really mess with you? Some of us, your budget can't accommodate you eating out as much as you think you eat out, as much as you eat out. It is not a need to eat out. That is a luxury. There's something called cooking. It takes work. Hello. What does your budget, does your budget accommodate? Five times a week eating out? No, you're upside down because, well, if God would just provide for me enough, he's given you enough. You just disagree on enough. Here's a way. Make your own coffee, all right? Don't use those pods. Those ones are not very good. Um, For a little while, you might have to say, you know what, Spider-Man, I'm not going to any movies because that's $75 if I eat popcorn and there's COVID in there. And you might, you know, you might say, you might say, hey, maybe this is the car you want, but this fits in your budget. So you got to go with it. But it's not new and shiny with wheels with a broken axle that the guy taped back together. No, 
But does it get you from A to B? Yeah. Does it fit in your budget? Yeah. If you're me, you might have to say, you know, maybe I don't need a different vest for every day of the week. Maybe for right now, I can't have HBO and Showtime, but I can just pare down to internet and do YouTube Live. Uh, maybe instead of having this phone, I don't need that data plan. Maybe we switch to something like T-Mobile and cut our bill in a quarter. I don't want to do that. Does it fit in your budget? Maybe, uh, maybe instead of uh, you know, doing those super expensive vacations four times a year, we do some other things and trim down a little bit there, and we call and negotiate some prices down, and now this fits in there. And I have everything I need. And you know what? I have a little bit of room left over. It's not magic. It's Bible. Put things in the right order. Wrestle with what you need versus what you greed, because most of us have that definition broken. And you have to come to a place where you say, that is enough. This house fits all of us inside. Parts of it leak. Parts of it need updated. Stop watching HGTV and you won't feel like you need to update it every single year. 90% of the world would die to have what you complain about. Some of them drown in the ocean trying to swim here. We don't understand enough. Can I tell you, every vision this church has for ministry could be accomplished financially in 12 months if we could just get a handle on enough. Because God deserves the first overs, not the leftovers. Let me ask you a question. Worship team, why don't you come? It's a, it's a candy-themed message today, so I'm going to open up this Kit Kat. And if I wanted to break off a piece of this Kit Kat bar... <laughs> And I wanted to share with you, let me ask you, how would you like it? Let's, let's say I want to share, share half with you. Would you prefer it way number one where I say, here, this is yours? Or option number two. Here. They're both the same size. I'm preaching to you. You want it way number one or way number two? Unless you're a sicko, you want it way number one. <laughs> Why? Because I'm giving you the first. Right? How you think God, how do you think, how you think, how do you think God feels when? You pass off your leftovers to him as though they were your first overs. Once you've spent all you want to spend, you've traveled all you want to travel, you've eaten out all you want to eat, you've indulged yourselves, you've overspent for Christmas... Because Christmas needs to be in your budget. Hello? Birthdays, budget. Some of you say, this is the one time of year I'm going to treat myself. That's a terrible idea that Parks and Recs hatched. It's, it's not supposed to, you don't have a day out of the year where you spend as though you have no budget. But that's what society says. You deserve that because that's the way you're content. And you know what? You just feel terrible when the day's over. Because you can only afford to do it one day and now you're going to be in debt for the next 364 days. How do you think God feels? when we give him our leftovers, when we've packed everything else into life and we think he's going to be pleased with just this little bit that we didn't even want to eat. Because guess what? Sometimes there's not leftovers, not in my house. God deserves our first overs. And the only way you can do that is if you learn to be content. Otherwise, you'll always say, I can't give that to the Lord because I need it for my stuff because I don't have enough. The only way you get to contentment is by saying, God has given me a budget and it's enough. Here's the twist of the story. You can practice everything I said today and you know what? You're going to get ahead financially. You're going to get ahead financially. You're going to eliminate debt. You're going to spend better. You're going to have money left over. You're going to be able to save for retirement. You're going to be able to help your kids with their education. You might not be wealthy in the world sense, but you'll be wealthy in the Lord sense because you'll be content with what you have. You can do all of that and still go to hell. You know that? More important to the Lord than what you do with your money is your heart. He wants your heart, not your wallet, because guess what? Our wallet's connected to our heart. If I give Jesus my heart, my wallet's going to come along for the ride. I can send you out of here on pace to eliminate debt, go home and talk about budget, have a conversation about need and greed. Put some, some of us might not need to unpack the whole suitcase. It's just about reordering some things. And there's a whole other message on what to do with margin. 
um, because that's where God wants us to live. That way we have extra that's undesignated that we can use to for just choices, helping people, blessing people, helping missionaries, living with, you know, living with a sense of peace. Um, but if you don't have Jesus, none of this stuff really at the end of the day, you might get to contentment, but you won't get to godliness. So I want to give you an opportunity to connect deeply to Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to forgive you, give you a brand new life, and you don't have to budget that in. You just get that as a gift. He gives it to you expecting nothing in exchange. That's a real gift. If it's an exchange, it's not a gift. It's called an exchange. Only we Americans came up with gift exchange. You give me something as a gift, awesome, but I expect you to give me something back of equal or greater value quickly with a handwritten note that I wanted that you didn't ask for, right? God just gives it as a gift. Wages of sin, death, gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ. Will you bow your head with me and close your eyes as we end our service today? If you know you're not right with God and you're ready to be right with him, the reason you know you're not right with God is because of sin. Bible says the Holy Spirit's making you aware of it all the time. That's why you feel guilty. That's why you feel ashamed. That's why you know that you're broken. And that's the thing you've been trying to, to come up with an equation to resolve that only Jesus can. The reason why is because you're a debtor to God. You've committed crimes. He's not issued the punishment yet, but you know you're guilty. And you know you don't have the ability to pay off your debt to the Lord. What Jesus offers you is paying off that debt on your behalf. He's already paid it off. You just need to receive it. And the way you do that is by putting your faith in Jesus, bringing simple repentance to turn away from the way you were living. And then he comes and he lives inside of you. He changes you. He makes you new from the inside out. And the way you get there is by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart, God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. I wanna lead you in a prayer if that's the condition of your heart this morning. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, but today I'm ready to change. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I believed you lived a sinless life. I believe you paid off my debt to your dad forever. I also believe you rose from the dead. And that to me is proof that God accepted your payment and you defeated the curse of death. So now I put my faith in you and I bow my knee to your lordship. You are the Lord. I am your servant. Holy Spirit, come live inside of me. Bring all of you with you when you move in. All of your power. All of your character. All of your integrity. All of your contentedness. Bring it with you. And take up residence inside of me. In your name I pray. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with Him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.